Welcome to Old Fashioned Finance, the podcast that mixes cocktails and high finance. I'm your host, Jason Demland, and I am joined as always and in the future by my good friend and fellow money muddler, Caleb Frankert. Jason, can a podcast about finance be entertaining? Not without alcohol. Well, all right, let's mix it up. Everyone, I'm glad to be here with you. Talking cocktails in high finance. Yeah. It's another episode of the Old Fashioned Finance Podcast, and we're doing a drink that I think is a lot more famous yes. uh, than we have given it credit for on this show. It's not classy. No. I would not say this no. is a classy cocktail, uh, but it is very popular. In fact, uh, it's one of the most popular in my own mind. Yeah. I know that very I knew of it before I really knew anything about drinking culture, mm-hmm. uh, probably because of... Dude. <laughs> yes, the dude. <laughs> the dude. Uh, El Duderino, his dudeness. <laughs> yeah, the big Lebowski. Yeah. Uh, we're talking Jeffrey about... Jeffrey Lebowski. <laughs> we're talking about the white Russian. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a variation of the classic black Russian. Is it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, hang on. Listen, oh, we're well, not going to Okay, that. yeah, we won't get into ingredients And our finance yet. topic today, we were going to talk about Wait communism. a second, Jason, oh, you're out sorry. of your element. What? I just wanted to say that. What? Jason, you're out of your element. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Over the line. <laughs> Over the line. <laughs> oh, well, the, the finance topic. Uh, <laughs> Communism. <laughs> Why it sucks. <laughs> Why it's not as good as capitalism for money purposes and freedom. You know, it sounds good because we're we're drinking white Russians, but actually... There's nothing Russian about the white Russian. So we're no. going to do something that should actually probably be beneficial to our listeners. And we're going to talk about dollar cost averaging because this is not a podcast about politics. <laughs> no. And no. it would quickly go in that direction. Yeah. I, well, probably. So instead of talking about Russia and, you know, failed communist states, mm-hmm. uh, we're just going to talk Why about dollar cost averaging. socialism never works. Yeah, yeah. We'll it, talk- but this time is not different. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about dollar cost averaging, but we'll do it in Russian accents. Oh, you're really hey, good at comrade. that. <laughs> Are you ready to talk about very interesting dollar cost averaging strategies, whether lump sums are better? No, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I want to join in, but I haven't had enough white I Russian think to do that. Dollar cost averaging, lump sum investing, uh, very proximal, uh, similar uh, strategies, <laughs> many different though. And we will uh, delineate uh, <laughs> e- cosmonauts. You know this is going on the audiogram, <laughs> right? I already know it. <laughs> <laughs> Before we jump into yeah, yeah. dollar cost averaging and and how you should put your money to work logistically, mm-hmm. let's talk about the white Russian. And Caleb, is it really a variation on the black Russian? Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, so to explain that, I'll get into the ingredients. Uh, the ingredients for a white Russian are as follows. Two ounces vodka. Vodka. Vodka for you in the, in the states or grain vodka. Uh, grain in this one. Um, you know how I feel about potato water. Niet. <laughs> uh, two ounces vodka. This always happens when I read ingredients. <laughs> two ounces vodka. We used one ounce of Kahlua and one splash of heavy cream. Debate here that we had earlier. An office-wide debate. Is heavy cream the same as heavy whipping cream? The answer is yes. Yes. But I was confused at the grocery store. I mean, 
I make a lot of whipped cream at home yeah. because I bake a lot of desserts. And so I have used both heavy whipping cream and heavy cream to make mm-hmm. whipped cream. It's the same thing. There is uh, light whipping cream. Yes. There is half and half. Yeah, which a lot of people, including the dude, they use that for their white Russians. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we use heavy whipping cream. The, the trick, I think it's important that you just have a real fatty milk. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that actually, the cream is what makes it a white Russian because uh, the black Russian, I don't know how long ago that was uh, uh, concocted, uh, but it was vodka and Kahlua or some kind of coffee liqueur. Okay. Um, we use Kahlua. Bailey's is o- often used. Um, yeah. So two o- basically two ounces of vodka, an ounce of Kahlua, some kind of... Like you said, fatty milk. Just a splash. Just enough to make it cloudy when you stir it. Mm-hmm. Um, I might have put just a little bit too much because, as, as you can see, I got some of the fat sticking to my ice cubes. Mm. <laughs> Delicious fat. Uh, but, yeah, uh, the black Russian was something that, uh, well, it's one less ingredient. Really easy to make. Um, pretty popular drink. But, um, you know, it's kind of like people who like to put cream in their coffee. Yeah, uh, same idea. Need a little more uh, substance to it, maybe a little uh, a little girth. It's I, I winter. Think, uh, yeah, it makes it a little more of a wintry drink. Uh, th- there's more substance to it. Uh, what are your thoughts on this drink, Jason? Well, I've it's got a a place in my mind in mm-hmm. my memory uh, because uh, you know what uh, one of <laughs> at a wedding I went to mm-hmm. uh, one of the weddings I've been to I was my 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 now wife my wife. My wife! Also from the Big Lebowski. <laughs> she was a bridesmaid in this wedding. And uh, I did not know anybody. Mm-hmm. And they had a full bar. At oh, was the, this the one in New York? Yes. They had a full bar at the thing. And I didn't know I didn't know anybody. So I was like, I'm going to order white Russians. And I'm going to do it in a Russian accent because I'm an idiot. <laughs> and... Uh, and I did that, and I had I had a few of them, uh-huh. and uh, it was enjoyable. And and having this now, I didn't have enough to get sick, so okay. having this now uh, gives me fond memories. Okay, I know I've mixed them up before at home, uh, but probably more than 10, 12 years ago mm. is the last time I had one of these. And I tell you what, I like it. I like coffee. I like yeah. cream. I don't like vodka. It's an no. it's a it's a weird flavor because when you look at it, you think mm-hmm. you're gonna drink something sweet. Yeah. And it, it's well, got some sweet stuff going it's, on. I feel like it's there's an artificial sweetness, though. Yeah. You know what this really, really reminds me of? Yoo-hoo. Bingo. Oh, I nailed it. Bingo. Really? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like Yoo-hoo too. on ice. Yeah, because Yoo-hoo, like, I'm, I grew up on a dairy farm, uh-huh. right? So I like milk. And when you make chocolate <laughs> milk without milk, I'm like, hey... What's going on? Yeah. And I think the vodka must dilute the heavy cream. I, I think it does. Kind of gives it a a false chocolate milk flavor. It does. It gives it that that uh, it's a it's a fake flavoring kind of. Yes. I tried. I remember when I was a kid. I tried to recreate YooHoo by putting chocolate syrup and water and mixing it. It's not the same. Um, <laughs> really bad. Anyway, that, that's funny. You know, a lot of times we joke whenever we try something and we go, save it for the podcast. Yeah. We did save that for the that's podcast. Great. I'm glad we did. Yeah. Yoo-hoo. On ice yes. is what this tastes like to me. Same. Um, <laughs> same. Same. So, Jason, generally, I'm not a vodka fan. We use Tito's. You asked grain or potato. <laughs> grain. Um, 
I, I guess the vodkas that I've tried, that's the least offensive, in my opinion. We haven't Tito's. had the 300 times filtered vodkas that vodka fans are so... Okay. Like, they're like, oh, this has been one trillion it, times filtered. Yeah, it though. tastes like water. Or it tastes distilled like nothing. They you want to know that you're not drinking anything? <laughs> um, yeah, I, a lot of times when I drink a vodka-based drink, I go, hmm, you know, I feel like this would be better with gin. Yeah. And like the Bloody Mary, uh-huh. uh, and some other drinks that we've tried, um, any martini, mules, which you right, know, a real martini is yeah, that's gin anyway. exactly. But mules, mules for one, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, this, you you don't want to put gin in there. <laughs> no, I think that the botanical the hey, juniperiness hey. of a gin would uh, uh, it would be weird. Well, we should probably try it. I'm. I don't know. You know, like, so you got the Kahlua in there. Go ahead, little achiever. <laughs> and try, try it. If there are any Big Lebowski fans out there, hopefully know, you dude. love this episode. It could be good, dude. I don't know. I, I don't know, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, the drink, eh, um, it's okay. Uh, actually, what it really um, makes me want to try is uh, iced coffee with some of that Buffalo Trace uh, bourbon cream that we have. Mm. Um, we, we've tried the, the spiked coffees now from this, huh? That's kind of what I, when I drink this, I think, mm, you know, it might be a little bit better than this. Yeah. And, th- and that's it. All right. It's okay. I do feel like the dude. Uh, I should have a V-neck and boxers and uh, a robe on. Yeah. Sunglasses my yeah. house shoes let your hair grow long yeah well get that goatee going <laughs> and just such talk. a good movie it, well he flees is a vibe it. yeah uh, <laughs> jeff bridges mommy lebowski <laughs> yeah uh yeah put, wait, wait, wait let me go back down there i think it's <laughs> i think it's down there uh jeff bridges is a treasure um by the way jeff if you're listening to this podcast and i know you are uh, I hope you're doing well uh, with the cancer treatment. Um, yeah. Man, I, you know what? Do you ever have, like, you hear news about celebrities and most of the time you're like, yeah, okay, that's sad. I don't I don't know this person. Yeah. Uh, but I think, like, when Tom Petty died, I was really sad. Oh, yeah. I know that has nothing to do with the dude. Uh, but when I heard that, that, uh, that Mr. Bridges uh, had cancer, mm-hmm. man, that really hurt. I feel um, I feel close to him. I do. Uh, maybe I've liked him a lot of movies. Yeah, uh, and I'm a big Marvel movie fan. And, and Iron yeah, Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony Stark made this <laughs> in a cave <laughs> with love, a bunch of straps. Love, love Jeff Bridges. Uh, he just his love delivery him. is great in almost everything. And in the Big Lebowski, he's awesome. Uh, I am also a huge Stargate fan. Uh huh. And later on in the series, uh, Bo Bridges. Uh-huh. Became yeah. a staple character. His dad, general. right? I think it's his older brother. Oh, is it? Oh, no, you're right. Or younger brother. What was brother? his dad's name? Uh, I don't know. His dad was uh, also an actor. I don't know. I don't know enough Charles? about Jeff Bridges. Sounds know. like it could be a Charles. But I don't know. So I feel close to him, too. Uh, the White Russian is an homage to him. Like, he just made it his drink. Yeah. Um, you remember he wrote a check for game. 79 cents for the half and half at the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> Dude life. Man. Uh you remember early on in the podcast when we were trying to tie these episodes into a yeah, movie? Yeah. We did it for a couple, and this definitely was on the radar. This is going to be the Lebowski episode, of course. <laughs> yeah. If you like bowling, if you like uh-huh. rugs, uh-huh. this is this is your episode. By the way, in our new studio, yeah. how do you feel about this rug? I feel like it really ties the room together. Yeah, it really ties the room together, yeah. man. Cool. All right, so we should probably talk about finance. <laughs> yes, uh, a great transition. Uh, the Big Lebowski is not really a finance movie. There's a rich guy in it, but yeah, 
you know what? I bet one of the Jeffrey Lebowski's in the movie dollar cost averaged and the other did not. You are probably right. (laughs) Uh, At the end of this episode, you should be able to tell who. So we're going to talk about dollar cost averaging, Caleb. So this is exciting. (laughs) Yeah, dollar cost averaging, everyone. If you haven't heard of this term before, it's kind of a finance term. High finance, in fact. But really, it comes down to... You've got money. You want to put it to work in the market. You want it invested. How do you get it from not invested to invested? Yeah. And dollar cost averaging is a a theorem, Mm -hmm. a strategy that has become quite popular. Yes. And we're pretty big advocates of it. And I think we're going to talk about why. Yeah, we are going to talk about why. Uh, Some of you out there are dollar cost averaging and you don't even know it. Actually, quite a few of you out there. Yeah. If you have a 401k at work or an IRA that you're uh, contributing to on a regular basis, you are, in fact, dollar cost averaging. So let's break it down and talk about first, what actually is dollar cost averaging? Because I think we hear this term and we go, oh, I understand the word dollar. I understand cost and I understand averaging. But when you put them all together, what does that mean, Jason? Sounds like gobbledygook. It sort of does. Three words and mash them together and that's it. Like, uh, let me think of another one. Stock index passivity. Okay. What does that mean? Well, that's just it's nonsense. It's like you know the three words that it, that comprises the, yeah. the term, yeah, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay, so kind of like that. Let's let's actually talk about it, though. Oh, okay. Dollar cost averaging, right? Um, we get, I would say, a pretty common question from folks um, that are maybe new to investing um, or new to actually mm-hmm. taking control of their investments, right? Um, or maybe they've been sitting on too much cash, and I know I need to invest, but when is the right time, Jason? Mm-hmm. Right. I know that uh, I have a cop-out. <laughs> when you can afford it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, but really, we get that timing question a lot. When is yeah. the right time? A- another cop-out is early and often. Well, yeah, that's right? the, the, the quick answer. It's like planting a tree. Mm-hmm. When's the best time to invest? 25 years ago. Yeah. The next best time is now. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to now... We're ready to do it. Well, let's let's talk about why the the why the question in the first place. Like, is it a good time to invest mm-hmm. now? Well, what's behind that is yeah. well, the markets are at all time highs. I mean, are we due for a correction? Should yeah. we wait for the next pullback? Yeah. When's really a good time to get in? Sure. Well, Jason, we don't know exactly. Everybody wants to buy low and sell high, so you should invest when it's low. Yeah, but basic fundamentals. If you can predict when it's going to be low, you're you're gonna you're. you're you're gonna have a leg up on some chartered financial analysts. Yeah, some some bigwigs, some yeah. economists. Think think about this. There are folks who uh, lost money, and I can say lost money because they sold in 2008 or 2009 at the bottom mm-hmm. when things looked really bad. And uh, dollar cost averaging would have been helpful for getting back in because some of them are still waiting for the right time to yeah. invest, right? Mm-hmm. And we can tell them, well, the right time was March of 2009. (laughs) That's when you should have done it. On this side of things, we can say that, right? We get that question a lot because I think when we see the markets, (laughs) there are two ways to look at it. A lot of people look at the markets going up and they they get euphoria and they think, I'm going to buy now like everybody else. But then there is that that person who thinks, well, wait a second, I'm supposed to buy low. But what's low? Mm -hmm. Well, lower than it is now, right? Um, So how do we actually take some of the guesswork out of it? How do we prevent ourselves from doing what we tell our clients we absolutely don't do and you shouldn't either, which is trying to time the markets? How do we do that? Dollar cost averaging. Yeah, let's take the guessing out. So the basic principle would be this. 
I have twelve thousand dollars that I want to invest, Jason. Let's just we're gonna make yeah, numbers yeah, really makes round. A lot of sense. I have twelve thousand dollars I want to invest over the next year, and I want to pinpoint what's the best time of the year to do it. Right? I'm not having this discussion, I say. I know you need to invest the funds, okay? Why don't we just make it real easy? And over the next twelve months, we put one thousand dollars a month to work. And here's why this works out, okay? Let's say the market is too high, in fact, in January. We're buying shares of, of funds that we're, we're investing, right? We're investing in. Uh, and if the market is, in fact, too high, we're, we're buying less shares, right? Mm-hmm. But let's say it falls a little bit in February. But we're going to still put another $1,000 to work. That's right. Same thousand. Same thousand dollars. Yeah. But the share price is lower. I just bought more of it. You got more shares for $1,000. So in two months' time, what have I done? I've averaged out my cost, mm-hmm. right? So take that effect over 12 months. Um, we're going to actually say, take that over your working career. You, you put money into your 401k every two weeks, hopefully, yeah. uh, right? You take uh, advantage of this dollar cost averaging. So yes. um, it's not rocket science. No. Um, but you know, uh, an example here, and I, I just pulled something off of investopedia.com because I like the way that they illustrate oh, yeah. some of this stuff sometimes. Um, but they talk about, um, you know, the price of an index fund being $10 and your contribution is $50 this week. You buy five shares of that. You own five shares worth $50. Then the next week, the cost of the fund, the, the price of the fund goes up to $10 and 50 cents. You're still putting $50 in. You just bought 4.76 shares. Now you own 9.76 shares. Your total value is $102.50. Okay, we can keep going and going mm-hmm. and going with their example here. Um, the price fluctuating anywhere between $10 and $11.25. Sorry, there's it could go backwards too, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and what you look at doing there is your overall average cost is actually less than your average price that you buy into. Yes. Right? So it's a, a pretty smart way to... Uh, buy into the markets regularly uh, and not succumb to market timing. Because if you look back at that year, right, and you say, okay, well, if I can just find when the fund is at its lowest, then that's the time that I want to buy in. There's a problem with that, Jason. And I, I think we said this yesterday talking to a client. They don't ring a bell at the bottom. No, right? no. No one is signaling, okay, oh, now's the time to yeah. buy. Everybody back in the pool. Yeah, it's right, safe. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. we don't know that. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you had a crystal ball for investing, you're not listening to this. Nobody does. Actually, our last episode was about some cognitive biases, and those yeah. really come into play big time, especially they when you're trying to do. time when to put money in. Mm-hmm. We're, we're subject to the anchor that anchoring effect yep. where you don't know really... If you're at a low, there's a lot of research and data that shows if you're if you're the market or a fund or a stock mm-hmm. hits an all-time high, it is incredibly likely that it will hit another all-time high. Yeah. And in the next six months, it will be at an all-time high mm-hmm. again. Um, so we don't know when things are going to pull yeah. back. Just because something's at an all-time up. high doesn't mean it's not a good time to buy, right? Right. Like you said. Um, because there's always there's always been another all time higher on the corner. We've had a rough couple days in the market here over the last few days, haven't we? Oh yeah. Um, so this isn't even I wouldn't I mean maybe a little bit of a pullback. We're not in correction territory or anything like that. But if you're concerned, I would tell you, hey, look, we're going to recover and get back to new all time highs. You know why? Because we always have. Mm-hmm. If we don't this time, it'll be the first time ever. Yeah, and then we'll have bigger <laughs> problems. Right. <laughs> I, I love that. I tell yeah. people all the time. Yeah, if this is the time where it doesn't work and it goes to zero, um, 
Here's the beautiful thing. I'm way down on your list of people to call, actually, right? Because everything just went to pot. So we just talked about how dollar cost averaging actually works, mathematically, why it can make sense. I guess, should we talk about the behavioral side of it? Because you were leading into that a little bit. Yeah, I think I, I have a hard time. I, I, I get the mathematical reason. You get lower yep. average cost per share. I, I can buy that. That's good. I get that. It makes pretty good sense. Well, but, why don't you explain? You've done some research on just lump sum investing versus... Oh, okay. Well, yeah, let's yeah, let's we'll do that, that and then go to... Because the behavioral stuff is, I think, really the sweet spot for yes. dollar cost averaging. I think we agree on that. Yeah. But let's go mathematically. Dollar cost averaging doesn't necessarily guarantee you the best returns. Correct. It, 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 it does work out to a lower cost per share, but... There's actually some really good research done by uh, go to the blog called uh, www.ofdollarsanddata.com. I can't remember the guy's name, but he he does really good work. He's a nerd. He he writes really good short <laughs> nerd in digest. the best way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He does a lot of research, a lot of charts, and uh, he actually did a bunch of research on when the best time to invest is. And he would say now, right? I, yeah, that's the answer. The answer <laughs> is now. Really, no fooling. That that is the answer. Yeah. Really, just because. The stock market, on average, goes up over mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. and you can't time it. You don't know. We've said this in previous episodes. If someone could effectively do it, and it was repeatable, then someone else would do it, and then everyone would do it, and then yes. we would all be doing that. Yeah. There's always sellers and always buyers, uh-huh. and, and that's how markets are made. But the research basically shows that because markets go up over the long term, the longer that you are invested increases your probability of positive returns, mm-hmm. so much so that it is by far the best way to invest rather than trying to wait and buy a dip. Even if you see the dip, mm-hmm. the chances of you getting in at the lowest point, like you said, yeah. are really low. The chances of you missing all sorts of all-time highs while you're waiting for right. that are very high. That to- goes back into the last episode again. Yeah. Well, it was it anchoring? No, it was the the oh the bias where we were talking about the idea that we don't want to lose money more than we care about making money. Oh yeah, just loss aversion. Yes, just, just loss aversion. Loss aversion. Yeah, yeah. We care more about not losing than yeah. we do about gaining, right. which will cause us to make bad decisions. And that's why people do things like waiting for a pullback. Yeah. And here's here's what's funny about that, right? The markets pull back ten percent, and you go, okay, hey, let's get in. But what if it goes down twenty? Mm-hmm. Okay, where does it end, right? You are much more likely to miss the rebound. Yeah, and that's actually, there's been lots of research showing, like, if you just miss, like, the five up days of the year, you've ruined all of your returns. (laughs) Yeah, so really, mathematically, I have been convinced, and I've used this with clients, too, that have a lump sum to invest. Uh I just say, here's the data. Yeah. We got to put the money in now. The mm-hmm. best time to invest would have been a lot longer of a time ago. You didn't have the money or you didn't have the ability to We can't to do change it then. then. We yeah. can change now. But we can go ahead and do it right now. And I'll tell you what, many a time has the market cratered immediately after. It you know, seems like it. it. Well, it's funny that you say that because I, similarly, when I talk to folks, um, especially if we're moving out of quote unquote safe assets like savings accounts, CDs and things like that, and we finally get up the gumption to, you know, you're right, I should invest. Let's do this. And mm-hmm. I'll say, now. What I'm going to need you to do is plan on the next statement being down 10%. I'm kind of a Murphy's Law guy, right? Here's the deal. You've waited five years too long to invest, and I'm here to help you correct, right? Yeah. But when we do this, it's going to hurt. I just know it. We're going to go backwards. And and this is the deal. If it doesn't, then 
cool. You're not worried about it. Uh-huh. If it does happen, see, I told you. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a, a CYA for yourself. Um, but it's really it true. is. But prepare yourself for it. Well, probably we're talking about probabilities. Yeah. Remember, so just because there's an 84 percent probability that your investment is going to go up over the next year does not mean that it won't drop. Yep. I mean, you still have a chance. If it's a 25% chance that your value is going to drop, that's still a possibility. Yeah. And that's kind of stuff happens. Otherwise, everybody would do this. But I'll tell you what. The folks that have lump sum invested, this, this I guess, should go without saying by now we're this many episodes in. Uh-huh. Uh, but you have to have a long time horizon if you're going to put your money to work in the market. Absolutely. Like we're talking five years probably minimum. Mm-hmm. Uh, more, I feel a lot more comfortable when we work in 10-year periods. If you've got 10 years to leave your money in, yep. I'm going to tell you to put that lump sum in right now because 10 years from now, it's going to be higher. It always has. And if it's not, it'll be the first time. And you know, There it, was that one time. It's not, oh, the Great Depression? Yeah, (laughs) since then, it hasn't happened. Um, And that even includes 2000, 2010, which was a bad decade. Yes, the lost decade. So mathematically, that works out better. The problem is, when you talk to someone who's got a lump sum of money to Mm -hmm. invest, you got to talk about how would you feel if this dropped 20% immediately. So I'll give an example uh, of a client that uh, I've been working with here recently who... Basically, in the final analysis, <laughs> what it came quoting down to was... R.C. Sproul yeah. quoting John Gerstner. <laughs> I love that. Uh, in the final analysis, what this all boiled down to was, hey, guys, I, I don't know how to tell you this. You've done a good job of saving. You have an emergency fund. Here's the good news. You are well prepared for a big emergency. Here's the problem we have with this. You have about 300000 too much in cash. Yeah. What what are we doing here? We we need to we need to fix this, right? And I can just see the terror. You're right. The investment I know. guy is gonna say we need They'll to do say, something. I know, I know we do, but how do we do that? And I say, when's the best it goes back to when's the best mm-hmm. time? Are we waiting for an opportunity? No, right now. So you just hit them overhead and said, Boy, if you would have put this in five years ago, you know how much money this would no, be. No, I, I don't like to rub it in. <laughs> uh, but that conversation went like this. Look, I could tell you to put it all in now. I know that you're going to walk out of here with some heartburn and you're probably going to be checking the account balance a lot. You're probably going to be living and dying with that balance here for a while, right? Because that savings account has been a a safety blanket. Well, I'm also here to tell you that the latest inflation numbers of 5.9 came in and uh, you know, you're earning point nothing in that oh. account right now. You're safely safely losing 6% purchasing That's power. That's you scare right? them, my God. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. Yeah. You know, I know, and I, I looked them both in the eye and I said, I am not telling you to put $300,000 in right now. I, I If I can shut my emotions off, if you can shut yours off, that's what we do. Yeah, that's what but Jason I know, Dunn, robot would yeah, do. I know we can't do that. Why don't we put X amount in every month for the next, you know, why don't, why don't we just start putting $20,000 a month in? Yeah. Right? You still have that big, healthy savings account. We know, you know, we're... we're we know the plan. We're transferring money in every month. We're going to see that one grow more often than not. We're going to get comfortable with seeing some of those fluctuations. And at the end of the day, we will take advantage of some dollar cost averaging. Yeah. 15 years down the road, would we have been better off to put it all in? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, we would. Yeah, most likely. But, but here's where the behavioral part of dollar cost averaging works in into this, right? If I say, yes, put $300,000 to work now and you go, I just can't do it. And you walk away. And or, that 300000 sits in there for the next five years. Yeah. What was the better scenario? Yeah. Or you could have done it, 
the market sold off 15% immediately and they got really scared and yanked it all back out. Yes, worst case scenario. We see that happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. So from a behavioral finance uh, standpoint, I love dollar cost averaging. The same reason that I I love um, a lot of the autopilot things that we do. Yeah. It takes emotion out of it. It takes that market timing that that we want to be a part of, um, you know, calling our shot. (laughs) It takes that element out of it. Um, It does mitigate risk, too. Yeah. Um, because if, if we do see, uh, you know, like I said, you know, if we see a dip of 10% immediately, you'll be really happy that we dollar cost averaged in because guess what? Not only did we not lose a bunch up front, but also we bought stuff cheap for a few months too, as it was getting back up to where it was. Right. And you can kind of get that, um, have your cake and eat it too yeah. scenario when you're dollar cost averaging. Cause let's say you start putting the money in the market you know, keeps like ratcheting mm-hmm. up little by little. And we do have a 10% pullback, which is totally normal in almost any year. That's where I'm probably going to call you and say, let's get rid of the rest of this cash. Now's That's a buying right. opportunity. So now you just dollar cost averaged and your market timing yeah. and you're scratching, you know, both itches kind of there. Yeah. And, and really what it comes down to and why dollar cost averaging is so powerful and good is because it does take a ton of the emotion out. Yep. It gets you to invest. Yes. Because... We know the end result is 10 years from now, you should have had that money invested. Mm-hmm. How do you get the money in? You're probably a lot more resistant to just putting a big chunk of cash in all up front. If Absolutely. you're not, God bless you, you're right. <laughs> yes. It, but you're probably a little bit of a robot. And if, and if, and if you're not okay You're with probably that, an engineer, which means yeah. you're tons of fun to work with anyway. <laughs> but if you're not, guess what? You're human. You're like almost everyone else because we have a lot of people deal with the same yeah. feeling. Like I've worked hard. I got a bunch of cash. I know I should invest it. Uh, we said it in the last episode. Um, the way that we plan and invest should be more along the robotic lines. Let's let's put this on autopilot. Let's put some some safeties in place. Let's just do it. Let's let's establish best practices, good habits, and let's not second guess ourselves. The problem is, money is really freaking emotional. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, again, yeah. I I think. You know, you can make a case that dollar cost averaging is fantastic from a math standpoint. I tell you, it is fantastic. It's probably not the absolute best, but I'll tell you what, if it gets you to invest versus not investing, or like you said, investing and then, you know, locking in losses at the first uh, market drop, we always have to look at, did I put the client in a better position, right? Mm-hmm. Would we have had more if we would have put, if we would have put $300,000 in two weeks ago? Uh, well, <laughs> right now, no, but it does but, depend on right. Win. In the long term, I'm confident that we would have been better off there, but I'm also not confident that we're going to go for that. Yeah. And it's more likely that if it's leave the money in your savings account, which is warm and cozy and you mm. know it versus invest it all, you know, one or the other, you're probably going to leave it in the warm and cozy savings account. Right. Which is why we have to make that a little uncomfortable by talking about inflation well, just to get you moving. But yeah, there's so much. If it was just the numbers, mm-hmm. uh, this would be a lot easier. And we all probably, of this would be easier. We wouldn't if it have was jobs. just numbers, exactly. Like, so, uh, what we get paid for mostly is to try to help people take the emotion out by managing the emotions, and yeah. and that's where dollar cost averaging, I think, is the most powerful, and why we recommend it. Yep. Um, interestingly enough, dollar cost averaging. We talk a lot about dollar cost averaging in. Um, I also talk about dollar cost averaging on the way out. Okay. Maybe not as important, but when I talk to clients about retiring and taking income, 
and you and I have talked about this and maybe on the podcast we've talked about this. Uh, we're blessed with some very good clients who have been great savers, have invested money, mm-hmm. have been frugal. And, you know, where I think a lot of folks from the outside would look at us and say, your job is tricky because you have to help people plan for income and retirement and make sure they don't run out of money. I would say that a lot of the time, what we're looking at is, look, you're not going to run out of money. I think you ought to spend some of this that you've yeah. worked so hard for, right? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we get clients who don't spend any of their retirement money until Uncle Sam says they have to start taking required minimum distributions. And then the question comes up again, when should we take it out? Mm-hmm. How often should we take it out? I'm a proponent of dollar cost averaging on the way out as well. Uh, if the markets continue to go up and we're taking our, our money out on a monthly basis, great. We're, we're locking in gains on a regular basis. If it goes down, hey, we're selling less shares, right? Uh, again, it's about autopilot, I think. It's about putting things kind of, uh, it, taking the emotion, taking the guesswork out of it. Yeah, dollar cost averaging on the way out. Uh, again, it, it's more about the behavioral thing. Yeah, um, I think people do that more intuitively because when you when you do go to retirement, whenever that is, you're financially uh-huh. independent, you start living off your investments, usually you take a monthly stream of income. Sure. And it, because it's it mimics your paycheck, right? It's a lot more common to do that. So some pitfalls of taking it all at once, and I, I know again because we talked about this before, not on the podcast, but mathematically you could say, yeah, well, taking your withdrawal on the last day of the year. By the way, if you're our client and you're listening to this, we're going to take your RMD before the last day of the year. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's just too risky. But <laughs> but uh, the idea, uh, you know, if you take it out December 31st every year, that's when you're going to end up with the most money. Okay, so. There's a lot that goes into this. December is typically a pretty decent month for the markets, uh, I would say. Typically, we get those Santa Claus rallies, yeah, yeah. right? But not always. You know, a couple of years ago, we had a really bad December 24th, right? Christmas Eve. Yes. Gosh, it was awful. It was hard to enjoy Christmas celebrations with family <laughs> with CNBC on in the background. And I just wanted a day off. But anyway, the idea there is, well, okay, if I'm taking these lump sum distributions out and the market pulls back 30%, let's say, and now I'm taking this big chunk of money out. What have I done? I've locked in, locked in a big loss, and now I have a smaller shovel to dig out of the hole with. Well, right? I mean, if you're taking an RMD at the end of the year and your account value tr- tanks... Uh, yeah. yeah, the RMD stinks. is the same. <laughs> yeah, because that's established December 31st of the prior year. So again, a reason that I'm a proponent of dollar cost averaging and saying, wow, if we had a really bad December, aren't you glad you're only taking one twelfth of this out right now? Right. Yeah. But to your point, uh, just like going in in a lump sum, December 31st, the likelihood of the value being higher then mm-hmm. <laughs> is higher. Yeah. The longer you're invested, the more chance you have for increase because the market goes up over time. Yeah. So uh, lump sum distributions, I'm still a fan of as well. Even if you are like supplementing income, that's why we've got our guardrails. Like we use the Guyton Klinger guardrails philosophy. Right. We've got a distribution method that's basically doing the the distribution from the market for five years yeah. and then it being locked in. So that's what we do. Not everybody does that. Uh, right. Some people are, in fact, selling shares in order to make those distributions right. where you, you run into that. Well, now, again, yeah. like I said before, now I got a smaller shovel to dig out of this big hole. Does that make sense? I don't know. Uh, smaller, big. Dig out of the hole. Out. You can't dig out of <laughs> holes. <laughs> Unless you're digging stairs into the side of the hole. Well, how would you get out of a giant hole? I'd ask my mom to get me. <laughs> mom, come pick me up. Uh, again, from a behavioral finance standpoint, I just like 
systematizing things and saying, well, yeah. look, this is this is how we do it. When it comes down to it, it really is uh, doing it versus not yeah. doing it. And, Let's and not, I mean, we we have more often people saying, when do I get in? When do I get in? We don't have many clients calling us saying, market's really high. Should we take our RMD now? Mm-hmm. Usually they're, hey, let's, let's keep writing this thing out, right? Yeah. I don't want to take anything out until I have to. Yeah. But it can work both ways. I think it's part of establishing the discipline, good habits. And really, the more we do that, the more we take emotion out of it, which emotion, in my opinion, is the biggest danger yeah, it's, to your finances. It's a huge variable. If you can remove it, mm-hmm. then you've, you've done almost all of the hard work. And that's why dollar cost averaging is so valuable. That's the big takeaway here, Caleb. So, Jason, dollar cost averaging. Are you for it or against it? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> depends on the, the I'm generally you're I'm generally with. for it. Yeah. I'm generally for it. If you if you've got the fortitude mm-hmm. and you're going to invest a big chunk of money um, to look at just the numbers and you can guarantee that you're not going to take that money out for 10 years, mm-hmm. I'd lump some invest it. And yeah. I know that's that's harder. The problem is most people don't have the stomach to do that. Yeah. And if you don't, I'm saying it's okay. Yeah. If you're the client who is constantly calling saying, where's my money, Lebowski, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> then maybe setting up a dollar cost averaging system on the way in or the way out is the way to yeah, go. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to dollar cost average that <laughs> in and out if you're, yeah. if you're one of those guys. Sorry, that was a stretch. I just Freaking had to work nihilist. that in there. <laughs> What's his problem? <laughs> oh, he's a nihilist. Hey, yeah, speaking of, I don't think we have any nihilist clients, but that would probably be easier, right? What's the point anyway? Just give it to hey, me. Hey, man, I'm, I'm down 30%. <laughs> what do you care about? That's all meaningless. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> Nihilism. Caleb. Yeah. What are your calls to action for today? Well, I think dollar cost averaging is a plan. You should have a plan. So I'm I'm probably a bigger proponent maybe of dollar cost averaging than you are. A lot of times when we sort of quasi debate because we I guess we probably don't disagree enough on this show. <laughs> yeah, we just we're the same person. So uh, I'm a bigger proponent same. of dollar cost averaging because I tend to really the behavioral finance part of it is a a bigger deal to me. I think you're better at separating just the numbers and I, I mean saying it, I have less feelings than you. No, maybe I'm saying you're more disciplined than I am. Calls to action would be make sure that you're disciplined, that your decisions are not emotional. Dollar cost averaging is a great way to do yeah, that. It's a wonderful tool to do that. I for don't you. think you can go wrong. The idea is if you know you're going to invest, I don't think you can go wrong by dollar cost averaging, right? You know, I I had an appointment with a prospective client a couple of weeks ago where we had this conversation. We're going to max out his Roth IRA for this year. And then next year, we're going to put 500 bucks a month into that. Well, he says, well, I've got another $500 a month I'd love to throw into this. Or uh, I'm sorry, actually, what he said is I had another, I got another roughly $10,000 I'd like to invest. But I'm worried if I take that out, that maybe, you know, something would come up. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, let's not him haul around about it. Why don't we just dollar cost average into that as well? So for him, it was perfect because he's a budgeter, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it took all the, I guess, all the anxiety out of it. Yeah. Right? Let's just let's just set everything up on autopilot so you know how much you have monthly to live off of. I'm rambling. The idea is have a good plan. Dollar cost averaging is a great, a great way to take emotion out of it. This is this is a behavioral finance episode. It yeah. really is. Well, I don't know. It's kind of investing isn't rocket science also. It is, but we don't have Manhattans. Oh, 
we screwed up. <laughs> nah, dude, we're good. I, I like dollar cost averaging. I like to take emotion out of it as much as possible because I know that I'm emotional, an emotional person, and this is what works for me. <laughs> I don't see you crying, robot. <laughs> that, that's the only call to action I have. I think that's great. I- invest frequently. Invest. What was the, what, how did we say it before? With early confidence. and often. Oh, yeah. Invest early and often. Buy stonks. <laughs> yes, stonks. <laughs> Dollar cost averaging is a great way to do it. That's right, man. That's great. Hey, I think that's been great. That's a good talk. Good Dollar talk. cost averaging. If you have more questions about it, y'all, let us know. Hit us up. Ask about it in the speakeasy. Uh, get in there on Facebook, facebook.com slash old-fashioned finance speakeasy. And uh, you can, too, have your questions answered by distillers. Moonshiners, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, we some got of quite our a clients. diverse crowd out there. Actually, Us ourselves. Some, sometimes we even make an appearance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we monitor. All right. Well, thanks for having a drink with us this week, folks. It's time to close out the tab. If you have a question or a topic you want addressed on the Old Fashioned Finance podcast, be sure to email us at speakeasy at oldfashionedfinance.com. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to share the show with someone you love or just someone who needs a little money muddling themselves. You can stay up to date with all of the latest action by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Old Fashioned Finance is brought to you by Blue Jay Financial Group. That's bluejfg.com and produced by Pottery Studios. We've been your hosts, Jason and Caleb. Cheers, dude. Cheers, dude. <laughs> <laughs>